Hello and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode we try to pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss. And this week we're talking about insect agriculture with RNA. <laughs> So today on the show, we have Robert Nathan Allen, who is also known as RNA. Um, he is the founder of the Austin nonprofit Little Herds, which provides public education about the benefits of edible insects. And he's also a bug ag consultant to companies and organizations, in addition to many other amazing endeavors and accomplishments in both bug ag and food access work and beyond. I'm so excited to have him on the show. Welcome, RNA. Welcome. Thank you so much. This is a, a pleasure. So I gave a little bio there, but it was really short. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more in your words, what you do a little bit about yourself. Just what's the story? Sure. Yeah. I, um, eight years ago, I was a bartender. I had a poli sci degree that I wasn't using very well. And my mom sent me a video as a joke about eating insects. And you know, she said, this looks like something that you and dad would try, but no thank you. I thought it was so fascinating. I really dove down the rabbit hole and um, just started reading everything I could find about it. And in 2012, there really wasn't a lot of accessible information about insects as a, as a food outside of dense academic articles. And, uh, and so I, I was really interested in bringing this as a food to Austin and, and learning more about it. And, uh, and that really led me to, to starting Little Herds as an educational nonprofit to provide information to the public, to parents, teachers, entrepreneurs, researchers, policymakers, to, to help dispel misunderstandings and misconceptions about insects as a food source or, or a natural resource, uh, and to really highlight how it is a resource efficient uh, and nutrient dense very, uh, you know, just a livestock option that we've really kind of ignored uh, for, for far too long. Now, it's called Little Herds, but like, I'm thinking now about, you know, a group of geese is called a flock and a group of crows is called a murder. And is there something, are there special words for groups of various insects, I'm wondering? <laughs> I, I honestly, are they just I don't know because I'm not an entomologist, but little swarms <laughs> doesn't have the same right. ring. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And really, you know, what we, when we, when we first started this, we, um, you know, like we were going, me and a couple of friends started it and, and we were going out to the farmer's market and, you know, um, I was farming mealworms in my own home to, to have a source of insects to then toast in the oven and bake into cookies and take to the farmer's market and get people to try it. And, uh, you know, really quickly, we saw that um, most adults were pretty hesitant, <laughs> putting it sure. mildly. But a lot of kids, especially the younger kids, um, had no compunction whatsoever. They, you know, the, the youngest kids would walk up and start eating roasted crickets before their parents knew what was going on. And then their parents would freak out. You know, what are you feeding my kid? Um, and that was a great chance for us to say, hey, you know, look, it's it's good for them. It's good for the planet. They obviously love it. Imagine if, you know, other other vegetables and, and other healthy foods were this easy. And we can grind it up and put it in their breakfast cereal. And at that point, you know, most of the parents are like, oh, okay, I might not eat it myself, but if my kid wants to eat it, okay. And so we really saw that, you know, similar to a lot of other 
Western food trends that have um, become ubiquitous in our current, uh, you know, cuisine, um, things like sushi and Chinese food, Chinese American food. Uh, you know, there's really a generational shift in how they're perceived um, going from something that's very strange to something that's very exotic to something that's much more normal and commonplace. And we think that's going to be a, you know, a similar trajectory for insects as a food here in, in the U.S. or in Western food cultures. And we're already kind of seeing that where younger generations, um, millennials, Gen Z consumers are much more open to trying new and different uh, things, especially if they uh, you know, satisfy those criteria that they're looking for, that it is something that is good for their body. It is something that's good for the planet. It's something that is more, more ethical or more humane. And, so, and you know, we've even seen just over the, the eight years since Little Herds, you know, some of the kids who we were feeding crickets to when they were in elementary school, you know, they're now in high school and they're doing a, a report for science class about edible insects and how this could be a food that, that can help alleviate hunger and help reduce resource deficiencies. Um, so it's, it's been really cool seeing how uh, the idea has really flourished um, just in the past decade, going from something, you know, that was much more, uh, most folks 10 years ago would think survivor or fear factor. If you talked about eating bugs, you know, something very, right. uh, you know, a, a gag, something for the shock value. And, and now, um, you know, there's, when we talk to people, um, most people have heard of it. A lot more people have tried it. Uh, and certainly a lot more people are much more open to it. And, and the reality is, you know, there's so many uses for insects as a, as a raw material, as a natural resource beyond food. So when we're talking about food for our pets, food for our livestock, you know, soil nutrients, biofuels, biopolymers, there's all these amazing things that, that could be done with insects. And, Insect agriculture is really the key to unlocking that. And, and so, you know, that's, that's what gets me excited about where this can go, even though it's still a little bit weird. So when, when one of these kids eats an earthworm cookie or a roasted cricket, what's their reaction? Well, and, and it's most of the time, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's not a lot of reaction. They're like, yeah, okay, it tastes okay. Because it's not like the most delicious thing in the world. Um, but a roasted cricket, you know, has a very like nutty, roasty kind of flavor. Mealworms, I, I my personal favorite are mealworms. They're a little more buttery. They're a little more lighter flavor. And and so, you know, there's a, a couple of brands. Uh, one that's here in Austin is Aspire Food Group, and their consumer brand is EXO. Um, full disclosure, I actually, I worked for them in 2014, 2015, helped them start their first farm here and they have, they've really like gone light years beyond that. And now their, their insect farms are very much like futuristic farms, but they have a, a product that is just roasted, uh, crickets with different seasonings. So you have like a sriracha flavor or a barbecue flavor, salt and vinegar flavor. So they're very similar to like a chip or a snacky kind of food. And it's really funny. I had no idea what Takis were. Um, until we started going out to middle schools and letting them try these sriracha crickets and all the kids try oh, them. They're yum. like, oh, my gosh, these taste like Takis. You've got to try these. Come over here. <laughs> oh, these taste like hot Cheetos. Oh, man, it's like spicy. You know? And and so it, it does. It satisfies that sort of like crunchy, salty, umami flavor. Uh, and when you look at a lot of the cultures around the world where this practice is still 
um, traditional and still uh, maintained or, and respected, revered. Uh, a lot of times it is for those types of foods. You know, you, you might have um, in Thailand crick- roasted crickets uh, on the, the bar as a bar snack in lieu of a Chex Mix or a nut mix or something like that. You mentioned 10 years ago there was very little in insect agriculture. And, you know, I'm sure that this is the very beginning of what's going to be a huge industry that's going to be growing a lot. But I'm curious, like what what changed 10 years ago? Why did people start looking at this 10 years ago? Yeah. So in in 2013, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, they put out uh, sort of a landmark report uh, looking at how we can feed the world by 2050 um, and and looking at insects and as a food and a feed source and, and really making some some sound scientific arguments for why, even though this may be weird for the Western, you know, psychological mindset, it, it really makes a lot of sense when you look at how many different cultures around the world still uh, use insects as a food resource um, and and the the possible applications for using insects um, as an alternative to other fats and protein sources like soya beans or fish meals in our aquaculture feed or chicken feed and, and even the feed of other livestock like pork and ruminants. So this, this report from the UNFAO really validated it. And, and there was a ton of positive media reception and, and kind of that uh, report um, really uh, inspired a lot of the entrepreneurs who are now um, you know, taking products and, and putting them to market or um, refining the, the technology behind farming the insects, how to use sensors and automation and mechanization and robotics to make it a more efficient farming process. You know, and, and, and you, you alluded to that this has the potential to be big. And um, there's actually some really cool news for the industry that just came out uh, recently. There's a, a, a company called Insect with a Y, Y-N-S-E-C-T in Europe. And they, uh, they just uh, raised like 2.2 or 225 million, something like that. And, and last year they raised like 125 million. Uh, when they raised this amount last year, it was the largest investment in an ag tech firm in Europe, like period. It was, it was a record breaker and they've, they've like exceeded that again. And I think one of their investors this recent round is the the venture group started by Robert Downey Jr. and and his brother. And so, you know, we're seeing really big milestones for the industry in, in terms of the amount of investment dollars that are going into, uh, you know, the infrastructure, because this is a wholly new form of livestock. You know, there's all these cultures around the world who have maintained the, tr- the traditional practices of harvesting the insects from the wild. Um, there's very few outside of silkworms and, and, you know, bees, there's really very few examples of concerted domestication of insects. And that's where there, you know, that's where a, a lot of these companies that are now farming crickets or mealworms or black soldier fly. I'm really excited to talk about that with y'all because of some of y'all's episodes on food waste and, and upcycling nutrients. These few species are really being explored uh, and and better understood how to breed them, how to grow them, uh, and what they can be used for. And um, yeah, I, I think that because we're seeing uh, you know a lot of folks who are a lot smarter than me, uh, who are are very judicious with their money, <laughs> putting their money into these ventures, putting their money into creating these um, you know 
really highly advanced, highly automated. Um, you know, you can almost imagine a lights out kind of facility where you can have it run, um, you know, with very little human intervention because the insects uh, are able to be farmed in, in a modular fashion that's so unique compared to any of our other forms of livestock. I think that, I mean, that all sounds really like novel and, and really potentially groundbreaking, but I think it, it kind of raised a little, you know, question mark in my head when you said, you know, this is something people have been doing and people currently do in many places across the global South. Um, and it took like a, a white paper from a very Western um, kind of neo-colonial organization talking about the potential for insects to get really anyone interested in it in a, in a large way. And I'm really curious at how those practices that are, are being practiced now by cultures and in eating insects and have also been practiced in the past. Um, and I think, you know, are, are fading in a lot of ways as people, you know, as generations get younger and people transition to the, the urban areas, a lot of that insect um, eating culture in, in many places is being lost. I wonder how that history has been engaged with and how that culture is being engaged with and if it's informing any of the current work in the bug ag sector. Yeah, and it's and I think that's a, a really uh, great point to um, keep top of mind because it's it's one that isn't talked about enough. And there's um, some really great work by Dr. Julie Lesnick at uh, Wayne State University. She's an anthropologist, and she has um, she's she has a book that really dives into the historical roots um, and and really going back prehistory and looking at how insects you know, very likely may have played a, a, a much larger role than we had previously thought on our own human evolution, you know, and how our diets changed as we, um, you know, as, as our ancestors, our pre-hominid ancestors, um, you know, started eating insects and, and getting access to all of these, um, you know, amino acids and micronutrients, macronutrients that, uh, weren't in the fruits and the berries and things that they were eating, how that may have helped our brains develop. Um, and then we see, you know, so many different cultures around the world. Um, it's not like it was just something that was happening in one place, but cultures, you know, across North and South America, you know, even in the U.S. and Canada and Australia that are, are considered more Western countries now, the indigenous cultures there, many of them had um, traditional uses of insects for food and, and they're um, you know, there's not near as many records of those as there should be. Um, so it is really, I think it is really important for us to, um, you know, re recognize and respect that a lot of uh, the gatekeepers for this knowledge, you know, it's it's been passed down through these traditions and these cultures. And one of the things that, um, you know, was, was really interesting, inspiring for me very early on was conversations with, um, you know, people in, Kenya and people in Cambodia and people in um, Peru, you know, just through the internet um, back in 2012, 2013, um, and, and hearing anecdotally from them about the way that their culture perceived that tradition of eating insects um, in light of the way that Western food culture has really co colonialized their, their diets. Um, Mexico is a great example of that. Oaxaca in Southern Mexico um, has a, a hundreds of species that are, are consumed and, 
Um, it's very much a, a beloved food there. Chapulinas, grasshoppers, especially in Escamoles, the ant eggs, um, but things like chinaquiles and gusanos, the agave worms. Um, but for a lot of uh, younger generations or people that are moving from the rural areas to urban areas, um, a lot of other places in Mexico, that tradition of insect eating is not, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it hasn't been maintained. And so a lot of younger kids were uh, discarding some of these traditional foods as they, as they, you know, went to more metropolitan areas and, and wanted to, uh, you know, consume a lot of the um, unhealthy foods that the Western food culture has exported. Um, and, and so there's something really, I think, uh, really exciting about the potential for recognizing this as a food that should be valued. You know, your, the grandmother, the grandfather the, that were eating insects, they were right. Turns out they're incredibly nutritious. They're incredibly resource efficient. It's something that we should all be eating. And it's Western food culture that's silly, you know, and for, for not uh, realizing this and for, for losing touch with this. Uh, and I think if, if, there's, if that allows us to, you know, help some young entrepreneurs uh, recognize that it's, it's something that's uh, a tradition that should be cherished um, by them seeing that it's, you know, something that's consumed by uh, a famous musician or a famous athlete or, you know, a, a, someone, they, a famous actor or actress, then, then I think that is, that's a way that we can try to help right some of that wrongness. Um, because a lot of the reasons why Western food culture doesn't use insects as a food is really rooted in colonialism and, and othering of other cultures. And, um, you know, when, when, when Europeans went to other places and saw people eating different foods, um, you know, they said, oh, this is what other people are eating. This is barbaric or this is low class. And, and, and that's wrong. <laughs> and so if we can help correct some of that, um, then, then we should. And, and so I think it's really important for us to, you know, highlight where these, uh, where these traditions, where these recipes the, the people and the culture that they come from. Yeah, even I think it was about 20-ish years ago was the uh, Beijing Olympics. And I remember at the time there was this graphic passed around that was clearly trying to keep people from getting too excited about it. And one of it was like a, a picture of, of food stalls with insects like beetles and stuff. And I don't even actually know if uh, there are cultures in China that eat insects but you know the caption was you know and look at what they eat mm -hmm. yeah it, it was very clearly and, and not about the insects and, and well and, and i say that but it's you know just like mexico just like just like so many different countries there are some people that eat insects and there's some people that don't and that's totally okay there's some people that eat asparagus and there's some people that don't there's some people that eat pork there's some that don't there's some people that eat shrimp there's some that don't there's you know there's no one thing that everybody eats but it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really important to, to note that because, uh, you know, if you talk to someone from Northern Mexico, they are not going to think that a grasshopper is something that, that is, is food necessarily. Um, but if you talk to someone from Southern Mexico, they may. So I have another question for you. And this is, I think, something that I, as a member of the industry, have been thinking a lot about internally. Um, and it, it kind of seems to me that like right now, there are kind of parallel tracks 
um, in the the work towards a you know climately just climatically just I don't know what the the adjective there is but you know you know working towards climate justice as well as food justice and making sure that people can eat and we can save the planet and it seems like you know there's one camp that's really moving towards automation and these you know highly controlled systems and there's another camp that's kind of moving towards let's just you know go back to focusing on ecological processes and focusing on regeneration and let's not have anything automated and everyone should be a farmer and it feels like there's like two very separate tracks that, you know, people are trying to move towards this same goal with. And I was wondering where you see bug ag fitting into like these different conceptions of a climately, cl- climatically resilient food system. That's it. I've, I've never heard it framed that way. But I um, often when we when we talk to the public, when I when I speak to people, I talk about a duality with with edible insects. And and so to, to the answer, the question would be both. Um, I think that insects have so much potential to be better understood the same way that we understand chickens, you know, better than we did a hundred years ago or even 20 years ago. So I think that, that uh, using insects in that very concerted, very automated, very highly efficient way has a lot of potential um, due to the, the way that you can raise them. Like I mentioned earlier in modular uh, systems, so you can have a container with your insects, and then you can have another container on top of that, another container on top of that, another container on top of that. It allows you to have large vertical indoor climate-controlled systems um, where you can really, uh, you know, create the optimal environment for them to have the optimal growth. So I think that that has a lot of potential. On the other end of the spectrum, I think there's so much potential in um, recognizing the importance of all these different insect species to their ecosystems and the importance of maintaining um, those ecosystems and the roles that the insects play. Uh, and I think there's, there will be, you know, my personal um, you know, forecast is that there will be uh, insect ingredients that are like soy is today, where it's something that you can find in a variety of different things from pasta to cookies, to crackers, to protein bars, anything that's a a shelf stable food, it can be used as a fortification and nutrient boosting um, ingredient. And at the end of the the spectrum, you'll have insects that are boutique insects that are, you know, very hard to farm. So something like escamoles, it's one of the reasons it's so incredibly expensive and so, um, uh, you know, highly regarded is because it's really, really hard, at least so far. No one has really figured out how to farm ants in, in the, the way that makes it efficient. And so if you want to get escamoles, you have to find someone who knows that tradition of where to go find these specific ant colonies and how to harvest them in the specific way that's you know passed down um, to ensure that you're not destroying the colony and and destroying your resource, but making sure that you can come back next season and harvest from it again. So I do think there's there's room for both of those um, avenues to look at it as something that can be used um, hyper-efficiently to help feed the world, and at the same time, something that can be hyper-local and be used to feed families and communities right there. Um, and I, and I, it's it, you, earlier, I think you mentioned the, you know, sustainable development goals in climate, but there's a, a really interesting paper that looks at how insect agriculture can 
um, play into play a role in all 17 sustainable development goals. Um, because in so many different places around the world where you have resource deficiencies, where you have um, malnutrition and hunger, uh, the ability to farm, to, to grow your own food using small scale, you know, household insect farming um, can really provide potential food security and economic security uh, for, for especially women, um, children, uh, people who are older, people who have uh, disabilities. Um, it really provides options for people who can't take part in the, the work opportunities that are available in those areas. Um, and, and so I think there's, you know, there, the, the potential for it to, to play both sides of that is really powerful. Um, I think the other, the other sort of duality that we talk about is the, the way that it's going to be consumed. It's going to be bottom up and top down. Um, you can think of top down like sushi, you know, sushi was something that was really, um, it moved from being really strange and, and gross, you know, raw fish was dangerous and disgusting to my grandmother. Um, but it moved to being something that was exotic and, and a luxury item and desirable uh, to my parents' generation because of chefs and chefs, you know, putting it uh, in, in high class cuisine. And so I think that there will be, you know, and, and there already are, uh, you know, Noma, Renee Redzipi's restaurant got like best restaurant in the world a couple of years. Um, they play around with insects in their cuisine all the time. And, you know, you go there, you're going to spend $500 for, a, for, for your dinner. Um, but they're doing some really cool gastronomic, you know, magic using insects and, and their different flavor profiles. Um, you know, there's a, there's an ant, um, or, or there's a couple species of ants and depending on where they are and what they're eating, they can have a grassy flavor. They can have a spicy flavor. They can have a citrusy flavor. Um, so I think this is, you know, provides a, a, a whole new culinary landscape, uh, for chefs to explore using ingredients that they haven't had access to or haven't had the opportunity to get creative with yet. And then the, the flip side of that is bottom up and that's where you're putting it into your staples. And, and it's a way for us to ensure that um, people who are not just food insecure because food insecurity is one thing, but nutrient, nutrient def, uh, insecurity. Um, you, you can have a food desert and you can have a nutrient desert. If you have access to plenty of calories, but you don't have good nutrition, you're still not going to be healthy. And so using insects as a way to add so many of the things that are lacking in so many diets, you know, the top things that people are, are lacking in their diets that cause some of the worst health problems around the world, protein deficiencies, iron deficiencies, calcium deficiencies. Um, these are things that insects are high in. And so we can add insects to foods to make them more healthful um, without uh, with without having to change the food itself. So are you saying I can't just go online, buy an ant farm, and then have dinner? <laughs> I mean, I, you can. You can do a lot of things. Whether you should is a totally different thing. And and we, you know, this is actually a great point. Let's let's go ahead and put some of the safety notes out there because we do a lot of work with kids. And so, you know, especially with kids, right? First, let's make sure we're safe. Don't go eat the bugs in your backyard. Don't go eat the bugs in your house. Don't eat raw bugs. These are things that you should not do because you could get sick. Um, it might not taste good. Uh, 
you don't know where they've been, what they've been crawling on, what they've been eating. Um, you can, if you, you know, if, if, if it is part of your culture, if you are, are with someone who understands the traditional knowledge of which insects are safe to eat, which ones are not, which ones are good, which ones are not, how to find them, then by all means. But if you don't, then we recommend that you get your insects from someone who's farming them specifically for food. And the FDA provides clear guidance that if you're going to be selling insects as food, then they need to be farmed specifically for food. Um, they need to be you know, uh, raised in approved feed with approved feeds, and you need to adhere to your good manufacturing practices for how to process them and package them and transport them and sell them. Um, so, so, yeah, you should always make sure you know where your bugs come from. And uh, if you have a if you have a few allergies, then you might want to consult with your doctor first, uh, because insects are arthropods, similar to shellfish. Their exoskeletons have a lot of the same um, proteins as shrimp, sh- shrimp shells, crawfish, crab, lobster. So if you have a shellfish allergy, you may have a reaction to insects. Um, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. Uh, there's there's a lot of correlation. There's not really clear causation. Uh, and anecdotally, we have you know talked to some folks who do have shellfish allergies who can't eat insects, and they're, and they're fine. And others who don't have a shellfish allergy and have some sort of reaction to, to insects. Um, so talk to your doctor if you have allergies like shellfish. If you have a dust allergy, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of dead bugs and bug poop in dust. Uh, so make sure that you don't have food allergies. We want to make sure that other, someone else is safe. And so if you're going to surprise someone, make sure they don't have a, a food allergy. Um, and then beyond that, it's, it's really, you know, be kind to your body, be kind to the planet, be kind to the animals. You know, this is something that's healthy. This is something that is, is very water efficient, very space efficient, produces few greenhouse gas emissions compared to other forms of uh, livestock and, and is feed efficient. And, uh, and really compared to other forms of livestock, it's, it's a, an animal that we can raise in a, in a very, um, a much more humane and ethical manner. Um, so, you know, th- these are the things that we try to make sure that kids know when we're talking to them about this. Um, so it certainly is, something that your listeners should know too. So we've been talking throughout about this, but what are some of the most common misconceptions you get about insects and insect ag? Uh, I mean, I think, I think the, the most common ones, um, which have been, which I'm seeing less and less often are like, Oh, is it going to be squishy and gross? You know, people, people go to Hakuna Matata slimy yet satisfying. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. which, I mean, but those bugs looked delicious. Like I feel it like always so comes many back kids to were Disney, like, right? I could get with that. Pumba looks like he's having a blast. <laughs> you know, but people, you know, you swat a bug and it makes a splat. That's, that's what they're thinking. And, and then when they try it and it's really much more akin to a toasted sunflower seed or a roasted soybean or chicharrones, you know, there's, it's this crispy crunch so, so that misconception or the the idea that it's going to be something that is um, that's very like squishy. Uh, I think one of the other ones that that we've we've also seen, at, at least you know, I have seen less and less often, 
is the idea that, oh, well, other people eat insects in other countries because they're too poor to eat anything else. And that's that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, that's one of those misconceptions or misunderstandings that we really try to correct. Um, in reality, in a lot of places in the world, insects cost more than your beef or your pork or your chicken. And people choose to eat it because it's a beloved food, because they love the flavors, because they love the traditions. In a lot of cultures, they're seen as a very healthful food. It's, you know, it's something that helps you stay healthy. Um, there's, there's some cultures where uh, specific insects are reserved for, uh, you know, pregnant women or people who are, are recovering because they're seen as, as something that's very helpful. And when you dig into the science behind it, you actually look at the insects and you see, well, they have an incredible, you know, uh, mono and, and polyunsaturated fat profile. They have an incredible amount of, uh, you know, bioavailable iron. You can see why those foods would be understood as healthful, even if the science of why isn't understood, which is, I think is really cool. So are insects a superfood? <laughs> After listening to a few of your episodes, I'm so, I'm so glad. You, <laughs> yes and no. There's there's no such thing as, as a food that's like the be-all end-all unless you want to consider right. like Soylent, which like, no thanks. That sounds like the worst no, thing no, to drink for the rest of your life. No, absolutely not. But it's something that is healthier than a lot of other options. It's something that is more uh, resource efficient than a lot of other options. And it's something that can be included into a lot of foods and cuisines without even changing its texture, its taste, um, and, and just making it generally better. And so I think in, in that regard, um, yeah, I, I think that it's certainly more of a superfood than a lot of the ones that y'all have covered <laughs> that have a lot of hype and are really just, you know, it's, it's considered a superfood because it's got a funny name and it's from another country. Right. But like all things, you know, we, we don't, we specifically say insects are not going to save the world. They're not going to solve world hunger. They're not a silver bullet. They're a puzzle piece. And it's a puzzle piece that fits with a lot of other puzzle pieces in our agriculture system to make a better food system for the future. So, you know, with insects, I can be taking unused food, food loss from the supply chain. I can take things like the spent grains from a brewery or, um, you know, day-old uh, baked goods or the discarded bits from food manufacturing I can take a variety of things that might otherwise, you know, best best case scenario, um, they're donated to a, a food bank. Um, you know, second best scenario, they're composted. Reality, 95% of that, you know, in a very optimistic uh, scenario, goes into the landfill and is burned or buried and has provides all these negative consequences. We can feed a lot of that stuff to insects and some insects, because they're specifically designed to be nature's decomposers, they're really good at decomposing things. They're really good at taking all the stuff that is, you know, that can't be consumed by other things. They're great at converting that into a very consistent fat and protein profile, you know, with, with all these vitamins and minerals that are ideal for the things that we're raising and eating whether it's our companion animals, you know, cats and dogs, anybody who's had a cat or dog play outside knows that, that they will eat a bug with no qualms. And, and insects, it turns out, you know, the research is really showing this out right now. There's a, a company called Jiminy's um, that's just done some phenomenal research on the health benefits for dogs. You know, it turns out insects are a fantastic source of nutrient nutrition for dogs. And the research points to cats as well because they're obligate carnivores. Um, 
insects are a, an incredibly good source of fat and proteins for chickens and pigs and fish because those things evolved to eat insects, among other things in their diet. So I think when we really step back and look at it as, you know, it's not just about eating bugs. It's about looking at insects as, as a resource that we've neglected as, you know, a Western culture and a resource um, that can be better utilized globally uh, in a variety of different ways. If you don't want to eat them, feed them to your pets, feed them to our livestock. We can also, you know, it, further down the line, we can we can feed the poop from our chickens to our bugs, and then we can press those for fats and use those for industrial lubricants instead of uh, you know instead of fossil fuel based uh, lubricants. We can use those for biofuels. We can start looking at how to use their chitin in the same their their exoskeletons in the same way that we use the the the, the exoskeletons of shrimp um, to create biopolymers that have a variety of uses in cosmetics and pharmaceuticals and, and medical uses that we're really just starting to tap into. When I was in grad school, I like researched and did a presentation about chitin polymers used for like post-harvest in berries. I think they they did use lobsters in mm -hmm. a specific one, but you could use insects for sure. And they like created this film and they would dip the berries in it and the berries would go bad like and it would take the berries like weeks longer yeah. to go bad. Well, and and um those types of products like you said, right? They're made out of lobster and shrimp shells, and that's that's because there's a lot of you know excess from those industries. Um, the unfortunate reality, at least from the research that I've I've done, is a lot of the those products are produced in countries where there's very low labor costs, very little um, worker safety, you know, uh, and and very few environmental um, you know sa safety restrictions. So a lot of times you have people that are using incredibly caustic chemicals, incredibly hazardous materials and, and processes to create these chitin and chitosan chitin products. And, and there's, we need to find a better way to do that. And if insects can play a role in that, if we can, you know, very efficiently raise insects at such a large scale that we have the ability to use them to make those products instead of, you know, utilizing slave labor and caustic processes, then then that's certainly something that we want to explore. Are there certain insects that you feel are, you know, more promising? Like if there's one that someone wanted to try or uh, you think is extra useful or anything like that? Do you think there's some insects that are more than others or do we just 100%. not know enough? Yeah, that? and I think the, okay. the, the really cool thing is that um, we're still so early on in, in really understanding which insects are ideal for which uses. You know, the reality is that there's probably insects in the Amazon rainforest right now that are even more nutritious and even more efficient than ones that we currently are using. Um, but the, the few that are, are most commonly used right now, things like crickets and grasshoppers, um, mealworms and black soldier fly, uh, they all have kind of their, their specific, um, ideal best case uses. Um, crickets are certainly predominantly used as a food and they have a, a, a you know, a, a flavor profile that's, like I said, it's, it's like roasted almonds. It has, depending on how you process it, can have like almost a, a dark uh, coffee cacao kind of uh, aroma to it. 
Um, and then compared to something like a mealworm that's got a lighter flavor. Mealworms, on the other hand, can be both a food and they're also they're, they're very efficient for livestock. A lot of uh, folks use mealworms as uh, treats for their hedgehogs or their lizards or uh, you know, treats for their chickens. And then black soldier fly is you know, predominantly used for, for livestock feed right now. But it's an incredibly efficient decomposer. Uh, you know, and, and pers- my personal opinion is that black soldier flies are going to be used for food at some point. It's just a matter of getting over the psychological hurdle. Some of our friends from South Africa who are using, uh, they're, they're taking black soldier flies. They're uh, then processing them in a way that allows them to use them as a dairy alternative. And they're able to make a dairy-free ice cream using insect fats. Uh, and fats and proteins, and the reviews are, are fantastic that it tastes delicious. They did some experiments uh, where they let people try crickets and mopane worms, which is a, a, a species of caterpillar that is um, commonly you know, consumed and beloved as a traditional food in uh, South Africa and other parts of, of Africa, um, and black soldier fly. And they let people try the crickets and the mopane worms and the black soldier fly larva, and the, the larvae were like, nobody knew what it was, but most people liked the flavor of it. And it's got a really high percentage of fat. So it kind of makes sense. Something that's, you know, fattier is going to ha- taste better to us because of how we've evolved to, to, you know, like those kinds of flavors. So that makes me think of this uh, vegan ice cream place we have in Austin called Sweet Ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Valerie, uh, you know, they make I, I know her. She's nut- they're awesome. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, we. Yeah, I know her from improv. Uh, great lady. Great ice cream. Yeah, great 100%. ice cream. Um, but it, you talked about ice cream made from insects, and I, I'm just sort of wondering, how, do you have a beat on how vegans feel about ice? Uh, sorry, how vegans feel about insects? Yeah, it's is it that's, still an animal. Is there an ethical thing? Yeah, well, and it's you know the th- it, Austin is great because I think more so than than most other places in the world, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of vegans and vegetarians about eating insects <laughs> and. Um, you know, one of the things we've seen is that most people are, you know, most people choose to follow any dietary preference, whether it's vegetarian, pescatarian, vegan, halal, kosher, what, what, what have you, you know, they're following it for one of a, a variety of reasons, whether it's for their own personal health, whether it's for environmental reasons, whether it's for ethical or humane treatment of animals kind of, uh, reasons, or if it's a moral, religious, or philosophical reason. And if it's the last one, I have no interest in even trying to change your mind. Like, good for you. If if more people ate vegan and vegetarian diets, we'd probably be in a better place right now. But if you are choosing what you eat because of health, the environment, or the treatment of animals, insects satisfies all three of those really, really well. And... Um, you know, from all the conversations you have with people, the vast majority of the time, um, vegetarians and vegans are either interested in trying it themselves or they're interested in having their friends try it instead of other types of animal proteins. Um, and then, of course, when you get to, uh, you know, if you're a vegan with a cat, you can't have a vegan cat food because cats are obligate carnivores. They have to have some of the things that you can't get from plants. So an insect cat food would be ideal for a vegan cat owner. 
Yeah, it's uh, and we, you know, one of our board of directors, he was a, a vegetarian and insects were the only, uh, you know, in animal protein that that he ate. One of the founders of Aspire Food Group, the cricket farm here in Austin. He was a vegetarian for years and, and insects satisfied his criteria, you know, for why he chose to eat it. So everybody has their reasons. And I think insects do a great job of of satisfying those. Um, there's also some really interesting, you know, um, depending on the the the, um, the 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 group you're talking to, there's there's a lot of people that uh, consider certain insects to be halal. Uh, groups that consider them to be kosher. Um, so there really is, you know, there's there's a lot. There's there's something for everyone, I think, with insects when you when you really start to dig into it. I don't know if either of you guys keep up to date on Instagram trends very much, but I'm going to call it the thing a couple of years ago to be like the cool trend was a plant girl. And now it's a frog girl. That's like the cool thing to be. And I'm calling it the next, the next trend's going to be a bug girl. It's going to be like these 20 somethings with their staghorn beetles, with their phasmids. It's going to, it's coming. I'm going to call it. You can start a trend right now. There's, I've got some great Instagram profiles to introduce you to that love oh, really? to show off their <laughs> pet tarantulas or their walking sticks or their veal. It's, yeah, entomologists who who have like bug zoos, take care of bug zoos for universities, love to show off their collections. <laughs> Gwen Pearson, she's amazing. We had a bug zoo where I went to grad school and it was like my favorite place to take my friends and freak them out because like I, I had a lot of friends. I, I was a dancer at the time, so I had a lot of friends outside of agriculture. And so, you know, I would take like my English major friends to go hold some bugs in the bug zoo and they hated it. And it was so much fun. <laughs> well, so, and, and right there, like that's, you know, it, we have this instinctual, in a lot of ways, reaction to insects. And, and that's that makes sense. Um, there's a, a professor, Paul Rosen, um, his like nickname is the Godfather of Disgust. Um, he's done a lot of research in this into the psychology of disgust and and why certain things like gross us out. And there's you know there's there are some things that gross us out because they are evolutionary. Things like don't eat a don't eat a dirt. It's not good for you. Don't eat other people. It's not good for you. Don't eat your own poop. It's not good for you. And then there's other things that are cultural. Don't eat pork. Don't eat shellfish. Don't eat insects. And so you know we have this psychological cultural uh, cult- enculturation around insects that they are scary. They're disgusting. They're gross. They're going to get you, you know, scream and run away. Um, and, and, you know, there's going back to Dr. Julie Lesnick. She's, she has some really great stuff about how our, the, the way that um, our, our Western, uh, you know, and, Eurocentric culture, the way we treat insects, um, because in a lot of ways, we're so much more removed from nature um, than other cultures who live closer to the tropics, where, you know, bugs are a part of reality. Um, Here in Austin, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna like try to tell you to go eat a water bug, but we've got some wicked big tree roaches. And (laughs) I'm just used to those because Wicked I've grown big. up in Texas. They're they're still gross, right? But they're not going to freak me out the way that they might someone who's who's never seen one before. Can confirm. 
had a friend from New York who was indeed freaked out by them. To be fair, they have really big rats there. (laughs) (laughs) So I am really curious what you are seeing change right now and what you're really excited for in insects and in bug egg. Yeah, I think the um, some of the things that I'm most excited for is um, some of the more like back the the behind the scenes um, more boring stuff that is is really important um, on the regulatory side. If we go back ten years ago, there were no clear regulations around using insects as a food or a feed, um, and so since then. The FDA has provided clear guidance on what you need to do to use insects as a, a food product. Um, and they provide very clear guidance on what ways you can use insects in livestock feed. And so there's some things like um, it was only a few years ago that the regulations changed to allow some species to be used for chicken feed. You still can't use other species for chicken feed. You can only right now you can use black soldier fly larva for chicken feed. You can use it for aquaculture feed for salmonids, for salmon, char, trout, but you can't use them for pigs yet, even though the research shows that they're you know, highly effective. You can't use them for catfish. Um, so, so there's uses that, because the regulations haven't really caught up, um, that are still coming down the line. And we're seeing things like regulations around pets. Um, you can't use insects in a cat food yet because no one's gone through that regulatory process. But as more companies are going through those processes, as they're compiling the the research and, and showing, you know, look, here's the research that we did that shows it's safe and effective and as nutritious and good for the animal or the person, as we're saying it is, as, as more of that's compiled, um, then there's more clarity around the regulations. Uh, and that clarity allows investors to be more confident to invest in the space. And that allows the infrastructure and really the, the R&D and the technology to, to create the specialized equipment to make the farming more efficient. You know, if you look at chicken farming today, there's so much specialized equipment around, you know, an egg production facility. Ten years ago, that stuff didn't exist for insects. For the most part, it still doesn't. But there are some companies who are creating that sort of specialized equipment. And so I think as we're, you know, in five, ten years, it it will be much easier for someone to be farming insects at a much more cost-effective level um, than it even is today. And I think as we're, you know, looking into the future, as it becomes more efficient to farm them, the cost goes down. And, you know, it's the the cost is getting close to competitive with things like sustainable fish meal for livestock feed. Uh, And and eventually it could be cost competitive with things like soy. And I think there's it's when it gets to that point, there's some just astronomical environmental benefits in terms of the amount of water we use, the amount of space we use, the amount of, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions that come from our agricultural sector, there's some incredibly massive impacts that can be made by using insects in a, even a very small way, adding to our, our agricultural production models. Wow, that is a lot. And it all sounds really exciting and really hopeful. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else that you wanted to say to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the, the the thing we like to encourage people to to take away is is to be open to trying it. At this point, like you can go online and there's you know, there's dozens of different companies that you can go to their website and purchase their products, but you, but you can go to Amazon and you can purchase a variety of products. Get something, try it, see if you like it. If not, no big deal. Um, but that openness, uh, I think, is is really is really important. Um, and I think there's, you know, if, especially if you're interested in, you know, your personal health and, and nutrition is really important to you, you know, go look at some of the research and that that is, um, you know, has come out even in the last year or so. Dr. Valerie still um, has some great research on pre and probiotic properties of insects and how insects play, you know, into our gut biome. And there's some cool research in how, you know, uh, we have uh, uh, things in our gut biome that we've evolved that are specific to insects. So, you know, if you're if you're interested in your own health, and that's something that's really fascinating, go look at some of the nutritional properties of insects, um, antioxidant properties, their amino acid profiles, their fat profiles. Uh, if you're interested in sustainability, like go look at some of the, the the resource efficiency numbers. They're just astronomically more efficient than any of our other livestock options. Um, and the ability for us to farm them in that modular way that I described allows them to be something that we can take off this planet. So if you're looking into the future and saying, you know, how are we going to be farming our food in a climate resilient way in a, you know, in a, a future that is even more impacted by climate change than, than, than we are living in now, you know, if we're having to farm under the sea or underground or on the moon or beyond insects have a really big role to play there. And we're just kind of tapping into that. Um, and then of course, if you're just interested in things tasting delicious, then, then, you know, go find some, uh, some uh, lemon ants or go to Mexico when the pandemic's over and go try some escamoles. There's some incredibly delicious flavors in the insect world. Well, RNA, thank you so much for being here. If uh, if someone wanted to connect with you online, where would they go if they wanted to bug you? <laughs> hey. you, can, uh, hey. you can find us at littleherds.org. We're going through some website updates and overhauls, so forgive the appearance, but you can also find us uh, Twitter and Instagram at littleherds. You can find me at RNA Eats Bugs on Twitter and Instagram. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love talking to people, especially if you're interested in getting into the industry, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are, you know, interested in, in uh, researching in this space or working in this space or doing something in this space. Uh, I, I love to help connect people. I love to help provide resources for folks that are interested in this. And um, yeah, I always love to answer questions too. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much for your time and your amazing insights. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is made by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. Or 
join our Discord and Facebook communities, and leave us your thoughts on this episode. You can find all of our episodes and transcripts, as well as information about the team and the show, on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Help us take root and grow organically by recommending the show to your friends, or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash onetogrowonpod. There, you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, exclusive bonus content, and boxes of our favorite goodies. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to see what's sprouting in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. <laughs>